When I was in architectural school back in my undergraduate degree at Miami um, a few years ago, um, when I entered that program, I came from a high school that was very small. Mrs. Cinewall Valley High School in Union City, Ohio is not a large school. And so our school uh, curriculum did not have any um, architectural drafting classes. One of the things I learned pretty quickly at Miami in the architectural program is that um, many of the, the guys and gals around me who came from larger schools actually had some of them four years of drafting. Now that was back in the day when computers uh, drafting wise were just coming onto the scene and we were doing a little bit of stuff with them, but almost everything was done by hand. Great big large tables, big sheets of paper, and you drafted everything out, pencil, sometimes pen by hand. And I remember during that time feeling incredibly inadequate because uh, many of them had had experienced this. I did not. But I jumped in as I uh, tried to do and be a part of it. Well, I remember when I came to presentations, and it often looked like this with different pictures and drawings, not nearly as many people, uh, where I would have to present a project that I designed based off of a need that was given. And one of the things that I loved about those presentations um, were drawings like this. This is what we would consider, and, and Adam's got up on the screen there for us, for those of you that can't see this one. Uh, this is a type of drawing that very much is a big picture drawing. This is actually a rendering, a perspective rendering of this facility back when we had it originally designed. I thought, what a better picture to use. So this picture, pictures like these as I presented my projects, I really liked. If, if you don't know, I'm a big picture kind of guy. I loved talking and dreaming about big things. And so when I would present my overall perspective drawing of the project, I would get kind of stoked about that. And I would talk about, you know, look, look how overall it looks and how it blends together, this, that, whatever. Now, there's a very good, good aspect to the big picture. Now, on the opposite end of the spectrum was, were some of the drawings that I really didn't like talking about. And that, those were drawings like this. And Adam has the picture up there. These are, are referred to as very highly detailed sectional drawings. So it's like taking a chop through a wall and looking at the section. Now, some of you that have experience in this, you know all about this. For those of you that don't, um, like on the left here is a wall section of where a, a steel girder comes in and the brackets and plates uh, in the wall construction that connect that girder. On the right is a picture of, of part of the foundation. It's a section through the concrete concrete footer, concrete wall, and then the metal frame uh, studs. Now what you recognize pretty quickly is that these are very high detailed drawings. You have to know beam size, you have to know um, type of construction, weight of concrete, uh, size of the reinforcement bar, all that kind of stuff. It's very, very necessary. Because without this, you can't have this. I remember there were times when I'd present a project and one of the first comments that was made, because I like starting here, was they would look at it and say, you can't do that. And the reason was is because I hadn't thought through this. I hadn't thought through the details. I just liked how it looked. But the important thing for us to remember is we need both sides of the spectrum. 
As a big picture kind of guy, as I approach life and ministry and leadership, I need people, and there are many of you in this congregation that I so appreciate, that come alongside with details and say, well, how are we going to do that? I don't know, but it looks really good, doesn't it? But we need people to ask questions. We need people to dig into details. Because that's how we begin to fully appreciate both aspects. So whether you're a detail person, whether you're a big picture person, we have to respect and appreciate both sides of that. Over the last year, we have been in a very big picture kind of mode. As we pastors sat together last year and made the decision to go into the story, the grand story of God, and spend uh, 30-some weeks looking in a little bit, focusing in a little bit on some pieces. But if you'll remember, all of those messages were about pointing to the big picture and how they all focus on Christ. So we've spent time doing that. We felt like it was a great journey together where we got a big picture. But as we've been praying and seeking the Lord's direction on where we move into this new season, what we've talked about and decided to do, it, to do is that we are going to go to some detail. Now those of you big picture people, don't get all bummed about this because it's going to be good. We are in the next season, which is going to last about six months. We are going to spend time in one of the most detailed sections of Jesus' teaching. And absolutely a very um, um, strong compilation of, of pretty much all of his teaching. And it's the Sermon on the, on the Mount, which begins in chapter 5 and goes through chapter 7. You'll have to remember that this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gave, hence the uh, title, Words from the Hill, is that this sermon wasn't necessarily a sit-down, 45-minute sermon that Jesus gave. It's actually believed that this was a series of teachings which took place likely over several days, where Jesus spent time teaching the details. What I want us to do as we approach the hill, what I want us to do is I want us to remember the big picture and why the big picture is important. But it's time for us as a church, not because we've never done it, not because um, nobody knows how to do it. We've been there. It's time for us to look at the hill. And so we're going to spend some time today, really as an introduction into this series, we're going to spend some time looking at the hill, this hill that Jesus stepped up to to teach some of the very basics of the Christian faith. And my prayer, our prayer, is that as we walk through this next season of teaching and worship, is that we will appreciate all the more the big picture. So we're going to go to Matthew 5 today. But before we do that, I want us to begin this journey to the hill and up the hill. I want us to seek the Lord in prayer. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Father, sometimes in a new year we feel like everything's new or changing. Sometimes we want things to stay the way they were. Sometimes, Father, we just don't like to change. But God, you, we believe and we know that in every aspect of that, your desire is to see us grow and mature. 
to draw closer to you, to your son Jesus, to be led by the Holy Spirit. Father, we know in every aspect of that, that is our intention as we go to the hill. Father, as we approach the hill today, as we consider what this overall teaching is about, God, I ask right now with those of us gathered here in this place is that you would speak to us. You would speak to your intention. You would speak to your objective. You would speak to the process, the journey of what it means to go to the hill and to be on the hill. And that as we consider that in our lives, give us a spirit, a mind, a heart, an attitude of willingness as we move forward. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So Matthew 5. Now you have to remember, if you know a bit about Matthew, is that Matthew, the book of Matthew, is not written chronologically. So if you start at the beginning of Matthew and you read one story after another, one section after another, it's not necessarily chronological. Some of it is, but not all of it is. And that's important for us because to understand the hill, we have to understand a little bit of what happened leading up to the hill. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I want us to read Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. This will be on the screen for those of you that don't have a copy of the Word. Now when he saw the crowds, that is Jesus, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now there's a lot of talk, okay, how big a hill is this? Is it a mountain? It really doesn't matter. The point is, is that Jesus got off the beaten path. He spent time, and we'll look at in just a moment, in Matthew 4, 23 through 25, his first year of public ministry. That first period, approximately a year, was a time where Jesus very much went to. A big part of Jesus' message was about going to the people. And now, after having done that for a year, Jesus was a little tired. Remember, he was human. But more importantly than being tired, Jesus chose to step off the beaten path so that he could focus a little more intently on teaching his disciples. And so that's what he did. He stepped away from the normal routine and even the highways and byways up a hill, which was a little less traveled. And his goal was to teach the disciples. And so that's what he did. And so gathered around him on this hill were the 12. The 12 disciples had already been appointed. He had already pulled them from their boats, not literally, but um, he also, uh, they were former tax collectors. All of them came around him, and they had been doing life with him. This was just another season of life where they pulled aside a little bit in order to hear specifically from their teacher. But there were more than that. Jesus' focus, the message was intended for those 12 disciples. How to help them understand basic tenets of the faith and walk with Him. But others gathered. Others who had been following Jesus. In that time, you'll remember, we've talked about is that people said, made choices to follow certain teachers. Some had done that. 
And there were other disciples, not the twelve, but others that would be considered disciples because they repented of their sins. They understood the gospel to the point of committing to Jesus. And so they were there as well. They had gathered around. They were learning from within that context of being near Jesus in relationship. Maybe you find yourself, as we approach the hill, much like one of those disciples. But then there were a whole lot more. Look at what it says in Matthew 5.1. Now when he saw the crowds, his attempt was to get away from them a little bit. But what happened is they followed. And you say, well, why did they follow? It's because when you look back in Matthew 4, 23 through 25 specifically, what you see is Jesus was doing three things. He was preaching, he was teaching, and he was healing. So preaching was very much sharing the good news and the need for salvation, repentance and salvation in him. It was often he, in this first year, would find himself as a guest speaker in the synagogues, which was a common thing. He was sharing the gospel. But then he was also teaching, which was much more of a systematic approach, much more of what we see on the Sermon on the Mount. He was doing that, but he was doing it with the masses, mostly. And then he was healing. Something about healing that draws people, isn't it? Now what we know about Jesus is that he was healing physically, but his desire was to heal spiritually as well. And so these three tasks, so to speak, as he went places, and he covered a lot of territory in this first year, a couple of things happened which resulted in people coming to the hill that were not disciples. The first was his popularity. Jesus' popularity was not much higher at any other time in his ministry than it was after this first year. He had attained celebrity status. He had spent a lot of time with the people, the masses. And they were drawn to what was happening. Don't you love how Jesus draws people? Even when we don't realize it's happening, Jesus draws us. Now, it's true that people were drawn for all the wrong reasons in some cases. But his popularity because of these healings and preaching and teaching led people to follow him up that hill that were not disciples, people who did not, had not repented, people who had not accepted him as their Lord and Savior. But it's also because he had built credibility. We're all about that, aren't we, in this society? Okay, tell me what makes you true. Tell me how I can trust you. Jesus had done it. He not only spoke the words about healing, boom. He, he said it, or he touched them. It happened. And so that built his credibility. The good news that he was talking about was becoming real. And so people followed him up that hill as a part of the crowd because something about it, something about him was quite attracting But then the third aspect of this is the fact that he was speaking a bigger message, and it was the message of the kingdom. People didn't necessarily catch that. They didn't know what was going. But somehow, through his authority that he had had been given, he was introducing something very different. Something that seemed so good, but yet so difficult, so hard. And when he did a miracle, all it did was confirm that there was something special about this guy. 
So they followed him up the hill too. Now I don't know where you find yourself today. I don't know if you would classify yourself as a disciple, one who is committed to Christ, understood repentance, and submitted your life to him as your Lord and Savior. If you are there, wonderful. But maybe you're here today and you're part of the crowd. Don't be ashamed of that. We've all been a part of the crowd. There's a point where we've got to move out of the crowd, isn't it? My hope as we go to the hill, as we spend time together as a church going to the hill, if you are in the crowd right now, is that there will be a point you will no longer be a part of the crowd. You will, in this season, claim yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's my prayer. That's the prayer of us pastors. But if that's what it is to be, And even for us disciples, if it is to be that this is a time of learning and growing and maturing, we have to understand a couple things about how we go to the hill and really what Jesus' intention with the hill is. The Sermon on the Mount is not a program to make society better. It's it's not a to-do list. Now, I know it's pretty easy to go and say, okay, boom, boom, boom. I mean, we're starting with the Beatitudes next week. If there ever was a checklist, there's one. That's not Jesus' intention. Because this is not about just changing our behavior. No, this is much deeper. This is about our heart. This is about transformation. This is about growing in Christ. And so, if we're going to approach the Sermon on the Mount in the way that we should... We need to know that our life is going to change, yes. But it's not because we come, become better at the checklist, the to-do list. No, it's got to start with the heart. You see, many looked at Jesus' message here and thought, he's teaching a whole new law. What a cool thing. You know, you know, people get excited about that. It's something new. We've never heard this before. And what Jesus says and does and demonstrates is this. He says, this isn't new. I am resetting the truth of God that you know of from the Torah. Those first five historical books from the Bible. Matthew 5.21 kind of captures this. He says, you have heard it said, but I tell you. The law didn't work the way it was set out to do. Sin blew it up. We blew it up. And so Jesus says, it doesn't mean that the law is bad now, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to teach you, we are going to learn to do it together in community, we are going to live differently. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you read it, here's the goal, here's the objective, is that we would be different. Not for the sake of being weird or unique or whatever, just because it gets us attention. No. Jesus says, you need to look different because the new law or the resetting of God's truth makes you the church as followers of Christ. And the church should never, ever look like the world. Now, I know there's a lot of different interpretations about that. Some would say the fact that we use lots of lights or certain instruments, this, that, whatever, well, we're of the world. No. What it means is that people should see one thing primarily in us, and that is the heart of Christ. It's going to play itself out in different ways. And if we go to the hill, if we spend time on the hill as a church in this next season, and all we get is that we got to do this and not do this, we've missed it. 
because we've missed the process, the journey. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8, as a part of the Sermon on the Mount, do not be like them. This doesn't mean that we stand and we curse the world all the time. We have to live in the world. But what makes us distinct? It should be Christ, right? I know that's the heart of so many of you, is I want to reflect Christ. Well, let me tell you then, you're going to look different. We should be shining with acts of love. We should be people who demonstrate something that is not human. No, I'm not saying that we're going to be God. But if the Holy Spirit lives in us, there is a supernatural ability available to us. John Stott said there is no single paragraph in the Sermon on the Mount where he does not make a a comparison or a contrast between Christian and the world. And when I say Christian or non-Christian, non-Christian are simply those people, like all of us have been, who haven't accepted Christ, who haven't said, Jesus, you are my Savior because it is your sinless life that paid the penalty for my sins so that I can spend time, eternity, with God the Father. You have paid my penalty. So over these next few months, we're going to go to the hill. We're going to go to the hill. We're going to do it together. But here's what I want to tell you. You will be challenged. Not because I am some super preacher or any of the rest of us pastors are. No. Sometimes we deliver horrible sermons. Let's just admit it. But the reality is, is that Jesus is our teacher. And he wants to teach us. And so what I want us to get today is I want us to get what going to the hill is all about. This church is not going to play church. I don't believe we've done it. We're not going to start it. We are going to be a church as much as we are able to be with God's help. We are going to live out what Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. But I will tell you, you're going to be uncomfortable The intention is not to embarrass any of you. The intention is not to single any of you out. That's not what we're going to do. But I tell you, if we go to the hill the way we should go to the hill, you will be convicted. And I've already told you, I pray for conviction here and there. Because if we're not convicted, we're playing church. And Jesus will not honor that. He won't honor it. We may look good to each other, we may look good to the world, but we will not be all that God has created us to be. And so what I'm calling us today to do is to be intentional. And I'll tell you right now, it will involve sacrifice. But anything worth anything involves sacrifice. Dan, I can't sacrifice one more thing. Maybe not in your own power you can't. But sacrifice will lead us in some ways that we need to be led. The last two years, I have spent the first two weeks of January away. Now, some of you may not even notice. That's okay. I'm not hurt. This year, I spent a week in the office this week with some responsibility. And Monday, I am going away for two weeks. No, this is not a nice little vacation. In fact, I work harder in this two weeks than I work as hard the rest of the year. 
And what I do on this time, on this uh, spiritual prayer and study and planning retreat, my number one goal is to seek the Lord. I don't say that to appear overly spiritual or something for me or you all to brag about that your pastor does. That's not the point. The point is, is I am learning and know that I have to be intentional. We are going to have to be intentional to go to this hill and walk up it. And so what that means is that we have to sacrifice. So I'm going to spend time beginning Monday over the next two weeks. I'm going to spend time prayer, praying for all of us. I'm going to spend time fasting. I'm going to spend time studying the Word, studying the Sermon on the Mount. I have about five books to read, but I'm not real confident I'm going to get them done. <laughs> but I'm going to try. It's so significant. And, and, and I know for many of you, you don't have the luxury of getting away two weeks to be with the Lord. It doesn't mean your heart's not there. And so I want to thank you. I want to thank the elders for their support of that and their affirmation of that. And I'm going to ask something of you. I don't ask this very often, but I'm going to ask it. I need you to pray for me. And it's not because I'm completely lost, have no idea what's next. Maybe. Do any of us really? But I need you to pray for me. Because part of what I know is God is going to ask some things of us that is going to challenge us. Not because God enjoys that, but God wants us to be more dependent on Him. And sometimes the only way that happens is when He tightens things a little bit so that we realize He is the only way. But I say that in humility because I need your prayers. And I will be praying for you. And not just for conviction. I'm so excited about going to the hill. I'm going to my little hill here the next two weeks, kind of. But that time away from preaching responsibilities, that time away from um, office responsibilities or appointments gives me a time to say to Jesus, I'm here. I'm listening. We have to be ready to do that as we go to the hill. The parable of the soils, Luke 8, 15, captures the seed on good soil. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce the crop. I want us, as we go to the hill, to be ready to hear. To be ready to listen. I know you don't hear every word from this platform. That's not really the point. The point is, is your heart ready to hear? The point is, is have you made the choice to say, God, I'm ready to hear? Those disciples followed Jesus up that hill and said, okay, what do you got? Because they knew that he had invested in them. He didn't send out any save the dates. He didn't uh, put the local promotion in the newspaper and advertise, I'm going to the hill, come join me if you want. No, he didn't do that. But those who needed to be there went. So if you're waiting for some huge invitation, you're not going to get it. But I pray that you go to the hill with a heart that's ready to hear and listen. But I will tell you, you have to make that choice. I can't do that for you. I shouldn't do that for you. Your spouse cannot do that for you. Your mom and dad, 
teenagers cannot do that for you. You have to make the choice. And sometimes it's as simple as saying, Jesus, I'm ready. I'm ready to listen. I have no idea what that means, but I'm ready to listen. So I want us as a church to go to the hill, not to say, ooh, look what we're doing. We're doing Sermon on the Mount. Aren't we spiritual? Nobody cares. They don't care until they see it. But I want us to know that we've made that decision individually. And yes, that's where it starts. And then collectively, as we look around and as we see, oh, so-and-so's going to the hill with us. Yeah! Because some of you will go to the hill, not because someone made you, but you see the courage of someone else who's going to the hill. Young moms, you look at some of these moms and you see what they've been through and you know them and you see them going to the hill and you say, if they can go to the hill with all they've been through, I'm going with them. That's what we should do as the church. But we got to be ready to listen. Mark Batterson in The Circle Maker, you may remember, says, change of pace and change of place equals change of perspective. If you are not hearing Jesus right now, then you change a few things. Now, I know some of you don't like this. I'm messing with you. No, I'm not messing with you, but I'm just telling you, get yourself in a place you can hear. Maybe for some of you that attend second service all the time, go to first service to hear better. Maybe, maybe for some of you that have never been in a Bible study before, because that just intimidates you, and you commit, and you offer a willing heart and go to a Bible study. You have an opportunity every Sunday morning to make the choice to come and be here. This is not about attendance figures. It's not about budget or anything, anything superficial of those things. They're necessary. But I'll tell you, we've got to be together. We have to be together because the world is feeding us with tons of junk that we believe. And when we don't get together, if we don't come to the hill together, we begin to believe all that they say. Jesus wants us on the hill. Maybe it's on a Sunday morning. You come in here and you don't sit where you usually sit. You meet that whole new group of people on the other side. Sit somewhere else. Attend a different service. Maybe if you're used to taking notes, the way that you're going to hear as we go to the hill is that on a Sunday morning, with all of your might, you're going to keep your pen and your pencil down and you're just going to receive. And then later on the week, you're going to get online and you're going to hit media on the website and you're going to listen and then do all your note-taking then. Or maybe you've never taken a note in your life from a sermon. Start. Bring a journal. Just start writing. I know some of you are doodlers as you're listening. Yeah, go for it. That's fine. But be ready to hear. James 1, 22 through 25. Pastor Josh would be so proud of me because he likes this verse. Do not merely listen to the word. Yeah, you know where we're going. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. We've got to put our feet in our hands, and our bodies, where our words are. I believe there's ways that we do this. I believe there's only ways that we are going to take and apply the words of Jesus. 
I'll tell you, I know many of you, not many of you, that, I'm sorry, that's not accurate. There are time from time I hear from people. And they talk about, and you'll look at a lot of preachers that see this, well, make sure you've got a good application point. Well, I want to tell you, I take a different approach to application. I don't think application is my job. I don't think it's my job. Application is about you straining and struggling and joyfully walking with the Lord, figuring out what that means for you. Not twisting the truth, not changing it all around. And I love giving examples, and I'll continue to do that. But if you're looking for me or any of our pastors that say, well, you do this. No. Look to Jesus. But if we are going to apply the Word of God, we have to be dependent on Him. That's where it starts Jesus teaches and demonstrates in his ministry that this kingdom was a kingdom where hearts were changed. And it's only because they were dependent on him. The standards that you're going to find, you already know likely from the Sermon on the Mount, are over the top. That's why people often start on the hill and before you know it, they're rolling down it because they're so discouraged. There's no way I can do that. That's right, you can't. We're going to meet Jesus. And we're not going to get something from Jesus and walk away. We're going to learn to walk with him in a whole new way. Because none of us have been to this point in our life before. And if you have, we need to talk. We've never been here. Not only as a church, but as individuals. We've never been here. And so this truth that you may have read and studied and even memorized right now, Jesus has something on the hill for you. Be ready to listen. Be ready to apply. Be dependent on God. And I want to challenge you. And I don't even mean any of this to be harsh. No, I'm not apologizing. But I want to challenge because I know this is going to hit some. There is a way for us to be dependent on God. And there is something that challenges that every, every moment of our lives. And it starts when it is about consumption. When our primary objective to be coming and a part of anything that God has created in His church, when consumption, the consumer attitude, is priority, we miss it. In other words, when we come, whether it's Sunday morning worship, whether it's a Bible study, whether it's etch, whether it's a Sunday school class, a one another group, anything, If our number one objective when we walk into any of that on this campus or elsewhere is, I hope I get what I want. Now, I know we don't say that. But the reality is, is that we think it. Because afterwards, often we think through, I do it too. Well, I really didn't like that part. But that other part was okay. Don't be a consumer. This church is not going to be a consumer church. If that's what you want, this is probably not the place for you. Because we are going to be people who submit to Christ. And for us to submit to Christ, we can't make what we want the primary objective. There's not a Sunday that goes by that I don't go home and think, well, that wasn't really what I wanted. And sometimes it's my message. Somebody told me the other day, well, Dan, um, I don't always like your messages, but last Sunday that was a good one. And I said to them, you know what, I don't always like my messages either. But here's what I will tell you. There have been Sundays, and Matt and Stan and um, Josh and any other preacher will tell you this. There have been Sundays I have stood up here, I've walked off this platform, and I've thought, what in the world did you do? 
That was horrible. You didn't study enough. You didn't do this enough. And sometimes because I didn't study enough. I didn't prepare enough. And I walk off just thinking, oh man, totally, that was not at all what I wanted. It's not what the church wanted or needed. And one of you, or somebody who's never been in a church before, has come into this place, and they walk up to me and say, I just need you to know the Lord spoke to me today through you. Now, don't I feel like an idiot then? And I should. Because it was about what I want. I want to hear people say, oh, great job, Dan. Nice message today. What does that really mean? Does that mean you heard what you wanted to hear? Sometimes people say that to me because they didn't hear, but they knew they needed it. It's not about all of that. It's about the fact is where are our hearts? When we go to Etch, when we go to a Sunday school, when we go to a one another group, challenge yourself. Is it about what you want? Because if, if that's your primary objective, you'll miss your dependence on God. Yeah, we all have preferences, and that's fine. Enjoy them, appreciate them. But don't be a consumer. Be one who submits to Christ in obedience. Celebration of Discipline author Richard Foster speaks of the discipline of submission and the freedom that it brings. And he says this, the freedom that comes from a discipline of submission, it's trusting Jesus is what it is, is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get your own way. And that does burden us, doesn't it? Sometimes it just ticks us off. But lay that burden down. The obsession to demand that things go the way we want them to go is one of the greatest bondages in human society today. Is he ever right? I know that's how we're trained. I know that's how we live. I, I know it's a challenge. But I'll tell you, if we approach the hill with submission, we are going to be dependent on God. You're going to walk in here on Sundays. You're going to go to a Bible study one week, and you don't want to be there. We've all been there. I don't want to be here, but I'm here. Yeah, you're submitting. Praise God. Because sometimes the reason you're here has absolutely nothing to do with you. That person next to you who can look over and see that you're here and say, yeah, they're trying to walk this as well. But we got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance and to the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. What does that mean? That means we have to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. I know there's times in different settings where there's tons of truth talked about. And for whatever reason, God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, has stuck one of those truths with you and you can't let it go. It keeps rolling around in your mind. That's good. Let Him, the Holy Spirit, speak to you. Filter every thought as you go to the hill. Filter every thought through the Holy Spirit. Because some of, the, some of the truth that you'll hear that you don't want to hear is exactly the truth you need to hear. Me as well. But here's what I love about going to the hill. I love going to the hill and being prepared for that as we do that together because we're doing it together. I don't want to go to the hill by myself. I don't want you to go by yourself. That's not the church. 
You look at the Sermon on the Mount over and over and over again. What we see Jesus doing is talking about, like in, in various aspects of it, this is how you do this together. This is how you hold one another accountable. Hebrews 3.13 says, But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, when we isolate, when we separate ourselves, we tend to not hear God as well. When we do that for extended periods of time. Yeah, we need that time in, in, in spots, but we need each other. God uses you with the people around you when your heart is willing. God uses other people to help you when you're in those spots. And I tell you, we're going to be in those spots on the hill. Even if you don't know what that's going to look like, we're going to be there. What I love about being dependent on God and what we see is preparing for the hill is receiving, or excuse me, um, being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, community with others. Those are our values of experience, grow, and connect. And when those three things happen, what happens is we make an impact. Did you know in November and December, this church gave over 5,000 pounds of food to the Preble County Food Bank? Anybody going to clap at that one? Yeah. That's because many of you committed to not only connect, but to grow and experience Jesus Christ, and that was the way that you demonstrate it, and you made an impact. Sometimes we want to go straight to impact. We can't do that if we don't connect, and we don't grow, and we don't experience Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Keep at it. It was a big, audacious goal. We didn't meet it, but we're not done. I love hearing, I've heard this from Ron and Keith and others, uh, multiple times the Preble County Food Bank has said, if it wasn't for Eaton Church of the Brother, that's not ours to take, that's God's. That's God's, and we need to celebrate that. And so as we go to the hill, as we launch into this series, I want to ask you, are you going to go to the hill? I hope you're ready to go to the hill. Not because you have it all figured out, but because you realize going to the hill, there's nothing better. There's nothing better than being together on the hill as disciples of Jesus Christ or one of the crowd who says, ah, I want to see what Jesus has. And so what we're going to do today as we conclude, and this is not just some silly little exercise. I used to think I just like to do this stuff because of youth ministry. But what I recognize is we adults need spiritual markers that are visually etched into our mind. And so a rather crude picture of a hill, but it is a hill. It's a brown line, but use your imagination, okay? I want us to make the commitment today to go to the hill. Remember, I can't do that. What I tell you, what I am telling you now, is that we, as pastoral staff, as elders and leaders of this church, we are committed to going to the hill together. And it is going to be a ride. It is going to be so much fun. And we're going to be scared to death at times. And we are going to be frantic, not knowing what's next. But we are going to be dependent on our God. We're going to mess it up from time to time. I'll tell you that. You're going to hear another bad sermon or two. Okay? But if we commit together to go into the hill, I cannot wait to see what God's going to do with us. I cannot wait to see how he's going to use this church. 
Because we're getting into the details. We're getting into stuff that we kind of maybe like to gloss over from time to time because it gets a little too personal. I'm right there with you. So we're going to spend some time. I'm going to invite Matt and the team up. And what I want you to do as we sing this first song, Awake My Soul, I want you to cry out to God through this song. Because I'll tell you, that's how we go to the hill, by seeking what God has, what Jesus is going to teach us. Now, I'm not next week going to put up a list of people who didn't sign today, okay? So relax. I'll tell you, I want you to be a part of this. I hope this list grows and grows over the next weeks. We're going to do something with this where it will be displayed more permanently. But this morning it's here because there's something beautiful about somebody from the back row walking all the way up and signing their name. I'm going to the hill. What does going to the hill mean? It means you're willing. It means you're going to get out of bed on a Sunday morning at times when you don't feel like it because you want to go to the hill. You want to hear what Jesus has to say. It may mean for you, you're going to get in that Bible study or you're going to join that one another group because it's, it, you need to. You need to. More than anything, it's saying, God, my heart is willing. Jesus, I want to hear from you. And so as we sing, Awake My Soul, I don't want you to come up yet. I want you, I want you to pray and cry out in that song. And as we finish that song, I'm going to share a couple other things, but then I want you to come. I want you to come and, and, and sign your name if you're ready to commit to go to the hill. Not having it all figured out, but saying, that's okay, I'm going to trust. Father, we're at the foot of the hill. I have no idea what you're going to do. but we're going to trust. We're going to trust how you're going to take this whole body of believers and unite us as we go to the hill. We're going to trust as you draw people into this place and also because of how they interact with us in this community. You're going to bring people up that hill that we would never expect to go. But God, it's got to start with us. So may you take these steps, this writing, this singing as worship to your glory. Take us to the hill, God. It's, it's not to communicate that, that you've never made a commitment. My intention is not to communicate that you've never been to the hill before. I know you have for some of you. But none of us have been at this point. And you know what? God's got us together for a reason. And so let's go to the hill together and see what he has in store for us. Let's take this new year, this new season. You know, just now I am starting to feel like your senior pastor. Because I've been in a season of continuing to try to see what God wants from me. My commitment, I know the commitment of your pastors is we're not going to stop. And so as we go into this next song, if you're ready, and maybe even if you're not, but you say, I'm willing, then what I am asking you to do, come and grab one of these pens we've got on each side and sign your name. You're ready to commit to go to the hill. 
And then we'll join arms together and see what God has in store. Both sides, come when you're ready.